You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. We began a new series last Sunday entitled Foundations. So I want to just review a little bit before we get into today's message. Last week, I said a foundation can be a doctrine or a principle upon which something stands or the ground on which something is built up or overlaid. Anyone who has ever had a home that suffered a crack in their foundation has lived out this importance. But our theme passage for this series, I said, was in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, when it talks about how we need to build our house upon a rock. Not the sand, not the things of stubble, but of the rock. And I went and talked about last week God's amazing grace, and we looked at Titus 2. So let me just uh, review a little bit. I said, God does not relate to us on the basis of our goodness. He relates to us on the basis of His grace. And boy, we should be thankful about that. Amen? And I talked about three things about grace. I said, grace saves us from sin's penalty. His grace is unconditional and it is unmerited. And then I said, grace strengthens us against sin's power. And we can leave the sinful life. We can live the sanctified life now and we can love the servant life. And then thirdly, I said, grace will separate us from sin's presence. Peter Drucker said this, when I finally understood grace, I realized I was never going to get a deal better than that. Amen. Well, this morning we want to look at real Christianity. What exactly is a real question, okay? So if you're sitting in the balcony, you need to pull those chairs closer, even though they won't move, amen? Same thing with your pews, because I really want you to hear this today, because there's this one word called Christian, and a lot of people don't really even know what that word means. And that's what I want to talk about today. I heard a story of a local businessman who was a Sunday school teacher for a fourth grade. And he wanted to impress his class because his son was a member of that Sunday school class. So he asked a question, why do you suppose that people call me a Christian? Well, after several, which looked like minutes, but seconds, no one would answer. So he asked that again. He said, now kids, can you tell me why people would call me a Christian? Still no response. So finally the man was just kind of had that exasperated look on his face and he asked the question again, kids, Why do you suppose someone calls me a Christian? And finally, his son spoke up and he said, Dad, maybe it's because they don't know who you are. You see, the term Christian is used more today than any other term to describe a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, people talk about the Christian church and they talk about the Christian faith. There's a debate raging among many as to whether or not we are a Christian nation. Do you believe that? I want to let you in on a little secret. I believe the average person on the street 
has no real clue what a real Christian really is. Many who profess to be Christians really aren't Christians at all. And many who use the term don't even really understand what they mean by it. Has it ever occurred to you? Now listen to this. That you can be born and raised in a Christian home, attend a Christian school, join a Christian church, live by Christian principles, read a Christian Bible, and even have a Christian worldview and still not be a Christian. Now these things may mark a Christian, but they do not make a Christian. You see, there is a difference between being a Christian in name and being a Christian in nature. It's a very, very big difference. Now, it's not for me to tell you what a Christian is. And it's not for you to tell me what a Christian is. What we need to do is learn what the Bible says that a Christian is. Now, I was fascinated when I did a word study of the word Christian as it's found in the Bible. I was amazed to learn that the term believer is used 80 times to describe the Christian. The word saint is used 60 times, and the word disciple is used 30 times. But the word Christian is only used three times. Three times. Yet I believe these three occurrences are crucial because they tell us what a real Christian is. Now, something else may surprise you because it did me. Christians did not think up this name for themselves. It was a name that was given to them by unbelievers. In A.D. 116, the Roman historian Tacitus wrote about the persecution of Nero by Nero of those whom the common people were calling Christians. 2,000 years ago, the word Christian was a term of abuse, ridicule, and shame. But Christians took the name, that name of shame, and turned it into a badge of honor. Now, hopefully, as we study how the word was used in the Bible this morning, you will understand what a real Christian is. And that's what I want to talk about today. Three things. A real Christian is first, someone saved by Christ. Now, look at this one verse. You've heard it. You've heard uh, it said many times. You've heard it spoken. And this is what it says in verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, it's very interesting that the place where believers were first called Christians was in a city called Antioch. Antioch was the third most important city in the entire Roman Empire. It was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And it became the headquarters of Paul's missionary journeys. Now, the reason that this city was so interesting is because it was religious, but only in a pagan type of way. Antioch was a center for the worship of Caesar, not Jesus. Of Caesar. Caesar himself had erected a temple which honored all the many different gods that the Roman Empire had. But the greatest god of all was Caesar. It was in this pagan, unbelieving city 
where people began to take notice of a certain person who walked differently, talked differently, and lived differently from everyone else, who exhibited a character and compassion never seen before in the history of the world, and they began to call persons like this Christians. In fact, the word Christian really means little Christ. Little Christ. Now, you think about that. If you're a Christian, you are a little Christ. All this still raises the question, how does a person become a Christian? Well, think about it this way. An American is someone who belongs to America. A Christian is someone who belongs to Christ, but there is a major difference. You become an American by being born in America. You become a human by being born into this world. But you can only become a Christian by being born again, which is what Jesus meant when he said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, listen, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now look at this. You can be born once and be an American but you have to be born twice to be a Christian. Now, being born again is what we refer to as being saved. Now, that is a term I am sure that more and more people don't understand today. So, I want to be careful to explain it to you. And we really do need to understand what it means because it is a great Bible term. Just listen to these verses. And most of you, if you've ever been to church any time in your life at all, you know these verses. In Acts 2.47, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Philippian jailer said to Apostle Paul, What must I do to be saved? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be God desires that all men be now, all of that raises the question, what do you need to be saved from? You ever thought about that? And one word is the answer, sin. Sin. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The reason that is a problem, because Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The death, listen, that death is not just a physical death, but spiritual death, which is what? Eternal separation from God. Now, everyone, everyone has a sin problem because we were all born in sin. There's an interesting verse in Psalm 58.3 that says this. And I want to give it to you in two or three translations. This is in New King James. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Listen to this version. The wicked crawl from the wrong side of the cradle. Their first words out of the womb are lies. Listen to this one. People are born sinners. Even from birth, they have lied and gone their own way. Now, the Bible says even little babies lie. Now, I never really understood that until our first child was born. 
when our first uh, daughter, Amberly, was born, she was about seven or eight weeks old. And we were in the house, and of course, we have the bassinet in the house. And one thing about me, I don't sleep a lot, but when I'm asleep, I don't like to be woken up because it's hard for me to go back to sleep. Lori can sleep with a chainsaw running. I can't do that. And so for the first few weeks, every time Amberly would cry, my right leg, because I sleep on the left side, was the strongest part of my body. I'd just nudge Lori like that. She was nursing, so there was not much I could do. But one night, she was crying, and I said, Lori, you need to go get your baby. Now, she didn't like the way I said that. She said, look, I have already been up with her tonight. Why don't you get up and go over there? So I did, just like any good father, I went over there, and I looked, and I picked her up, and she quit crying. I looked, made sure she was dry, and she was. So I gave her a kiss, put her back down. No sooner than I laid her back down, she started crying again. I picked her back up. I looked at her. Wasn't a tear in her eye. A few seconds later, she looked at me at eight weeks or whatever and had a grin on her face. <laughs> she wasn't wet. She wasn't hungry. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I mean, about that time, I mean, not even a tooth in her head, man. Here she was just grinning. And all of a sudden, it hit me. She wasn't crying. She was lying. You understand? You know how babies do that, don't you? Amen? I mean, she wasn't hungry. She wasn't hurting. She wasn't wet. She just wanted me to pick her up and play with her. She wanted my attention, but that was okay because she knew she already had daddy wrapped around her finger. Okay? But you know you don't have to teach children to lie. You have to teach them not to. Amen? That is why the Bible says we lie from the time we are born. That is why we need to be saved because we are all born into sin. That is what a Christian is. A real Christian is someone who has been saved by Christ. Saved from his sin by being born again through receiving Christ into his life. But secondly, a real Christian is someone who stands for Christ. Now notice the second place. In the Bible, the word Christian is used. Acts 26, 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now let me tell you the background of this statement. Paul was standing before King Agrippa. And before I go any further, let me just say, Every Sunday when I give an invitation, I am trying to persuade you to become a Christian, for those of you who don't know the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But see, the sad part of that, of this verse, is he almost persuaded. What is really great is when you do persuade someone. When the Holy Spirit calls and persuades someone, ask Jesus in their heart as their Lord and Savior. So Paul was standing before King Agrippa. His full name was Herod Agrippa II, who was the great-grandson of Herod the Great who slaughtered all the babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born, hoping to kill Jesus. He had come to Caesarea by the sea to visit with Festus, who was the procurator of the area of Judea. There was a prison there, and Paul was being held at the time on charges, if you remember, of treason. 
defiling the temple and being the ringleader of a sect called the Nazarenes. Now I have stood at this place at Caesarea by the sea. As a matter of fact, the ancient Colosseum where Paul stood before Agrippa is still standing and you can still go to the actual spot where Paul stood and see the actual seats where Agrippa sat. Very interestingly, that's a hard word to say sometimes, Paul had come to give a defense, but he wound up giving a witness. Now hear this. That is a mark of a Christian. That whenever the circumstances allow, he will take a stand for Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, church, there is not a day that passes in your life that in some shape, some form, some fashion, you do not get an opportunity to take a stand for Jesus Christ either verbally or by your character to give a witness to him. It may be by bowing your head in a restaurant and praying over your meal. It may be showing up in a business deal and showing whether you're a male or a female that you are a man or woman of integrity and honesty. It may be by going to your office and putting a Bible on your desk or whatever it may be. It may be showing both by your conduct and by your character as you live a pure life for God that people know there is something different about you. It may be taking an opportunity to turn a conversation toward Jesus Christ. Now hear this. Charles Trumbull was a great preacher who lived many, many years He had a motto that guided every moment of his life. And this is what he said. Every time I have the opportunity to guide the conversation, I am always going to direct it to Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul did. Man, I can just see this apostle right now, weary and worn. I mean, you think about his face, the texture probably of like shoe leather. Weather beaten from the wind, the rain, the cold, the heat of all those years traveling as a missionary. His eyes were permanently narrowed by just squinting into the sun. His body was tattooed with scars from beatings and stonings and scourging. And King Agrippa said one thing to him in Acts 26 verse 1 that totally changed everything. Listen to these words. You are permitted to speak for yourself. You know what that was like? That was just like saying, go Buckeyes to Paul. Well, it's hard for me to say that. (laughs) At that moment, his eyes began to sparkle like stars in a dark night. His back grew ramrod straight. His face began to glow like the noonday sun. His scars begin to shine like polished medals of honor. His words of truth begin to flow from his lips like lava down a mountain. I believe at that moment, the entire balance of power changed. You see, 
He was no longer before Festus and Agrippa, just standing there now, just standing before him. He was no longer on the defense. He was now on the offense. He was not presenting a defense. He was pushing for a verdict. He had his chance, and he took his stand for Jesus Christ. King Agrippa had never seen anyone like him before. King Agrippa had never heard anything like he heard, and that is why he made this famous statement. You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Now, scholars debate whether or not he meant that sincerely or sarcastically, but either way, there is one thing that I do know. He saw in this apostle and his tremendous faith in Christ and his willingness to boldly take a stand was something he had never seen in anyone else. The real Christian had stood up. Lastly, a real Christian is someone who suffers with Christ. The final place this word Christian is found in the New Testament is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify, glorify God in this matter. Now, this is a tough part of the passage for some of us, but it needs to be told. When you become a real Christian, a true Christian, you become what the name says you are, as I said earlier, a little Christ. Look at this. You, well, it ain't on here. Let me just tell you, you won't have to go looking for trouble, trouble will come and find you. Amen? You don't have to go looking for trouble. How many times do I hear people give their life to Jesus Christ? And they say, man, even though it's great, it's like everything's coming at me. You know why? Because the devil knows now he needs to go after you more to get you to backslide, to get you to sin. Because now you become a child of God. Peter went on to say in chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, Beloved, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, do you know why real Christians are going to suffer? Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, He who is not with me is what? Against me. Now, a Christian is someone who is for Christ. Whether one realizes it or not, an unbeliever is someone who is against Christ. If you are for Christ and someone is against Christ then they are also against you. See, I say this a lot. Lost people don't know any better. Saved people do. Have you ever thought about the fact that it is always the religious right that is attacked in this country and not the religious left? It is the evangelical, the Bible believer, that is attacked, not the left-wing liberal. Now, let me tell you why. Contrary to what a lot of people believe, it is not 
politics. It is Jesus. Do we understand that this morning? I want to be very honest with you. The more you live like Jesus, the more different you will be from the world. The more different you will be from the world, the more you will suffer for Christ. Now just listen to these promises. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Boy, isn't that great? If you find the godless world is hating you, remember, it got its start from hating me. That's what Jesus said. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on my terms and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. When that happens, remember this. Servants don't get better treatment than their masters. Jesus said, if they beat on me, they will certainly beat on you. Look at this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Understand that this morning, Christian. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of what? Suffering for him. You will suffer if you stand for Christ. But if you are a real Christian, you will suffer even more if you don't. When Peter denied the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, you remember, he what? He went out and wept bitterly. He was absolutely miserable. Yet in Acts 5, we are told that when he stood and suffered for Christ, he was thrown in jail and beaten. But when he was released, listen to his testimony. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I read an interesting story a few years ago about a group of soldiers who were fighting a battle. And the man was carrying the flag. And he had gotten far ahead of the regiment. And this private ran up to the lieutenant. And he said... Do you want me to tell the flag bearer to get back here with the regiment? The lieutenant said, son, we don't need to bring the flag back to the regiment. We need to bring the regiment up to the flag. Now, let me close this out. I say to you today that those of you who are many in here who call ourselves Christians, we need to do the very Same thing. We need real Christians to stand up. We don't need to bring the term Christian down to the way many of us live. Many of us need to raise the way we live up the level of the name Christian. Then when people ask, what is a Christian? They will no doubt know what a Christian is. They won't even have to ask, are you a Christian? Because they will know it by the way we walk, by the way we talk, and the way that we live. Now listen to this. Love the Word like you've never loved it before. Learn the Word like you've never learned it before. And live the Word 
like you've never lived it before. Because the truth is, no matter how many times we read the Word of God, there's so much more to discover and apply to our lives. So this morning, my plea is this. Will the real Christian please stand up? Will you bow your heads with me? God desires all men to be saved. As I said earlier, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But thank God, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, what I want to do, for those of you who have ever doubted your salvation, for those of you today who cannot say for sure that you'd go to heaven if you died, why don't you just repeat this prayer silently? It's just a short prayer. Just repeat it to the Lord if you mean it. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please come into my life and forgive me of my sins and save me? Cleanse me of my sins. Come live in me. I receive your gift of forgiveness, Lord. I surrender to you. I give you my life and I receive your life. Help me live the remaining days of my life for you. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, every head bowed and every eye closed, it'll take a little bit of courage, but I just want you to lift that hand where I can see it, where I know how to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can go ahead and put them down. Now, listen. If you prayed that prayer, you don't need to be ashamed. In a moment, we have that invitation. You should come and grab just one of us pastors by the hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Would you pray for me? Because in the Bible, in Luke 9, 26, it says, Whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Listen, you don't need to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For those of you here today, I'm telling you, before you walk out of this place, you need to settle this today. That you know, that you know, that you know, that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. For others in here today, I don't know what you're going on in your life, but God does. So today, maybe you just want to come into the altar and just pray. Maybe you want to bring somebody with you or come with somebody. But all of us are a mess. I've said that many times, but God comes in the midst of all of our messes and makes something beautiful out of our life. So today, why don't you do business with God? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word never, ever returns void. And God, I do. I pray for courage today. I pray that people will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing? Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.